Hello, I'm Ian Cheeseman and this is Forever Blue, uh, a weekly podcast for and by Manchester City supporters. Uh, in a moment, I'll tell you why we're here, because obviously I'm supported by a sponsor, so uh, no apologies for telling you who that is. But first of all, before we go any further, um, many people will know that I lost my father uh, just over a week ago and I've been... Um, completely overwhelmed by people sending me messages of support and condolence for which I am truly humbled and very appreciative. So I haven't been able to reply to everybody. Uh, in fact, there were that many coming in at one stage that on Twitter, for example, I couldn't even like every, every one of them. And as you can imagine, I was a little upset anyway. So um, if, if you think that I didn't see what you wrote, then I certainly did. And I am very, very appreciative. I have to say as well that the Forever Blue team, um, I think it was led by Harlan, but I'm sure they were all in it, um, sent me a lovely video of support too, for which I'm also truly very, very appreciative. Um, so just before I go into um, the content of what we've got coming up today, and I think we've got an exciting podcast on the way, um, as well as also saying, by the way, that I think last week's was one of the biggest numbers of listeners we've ever had to a podcast. Uh, great reception. Um, and uh, thank you for that as well. It's free to subscribe. This podcast will always remain free as far as I'm concerned. Um, I've had to think about things like uh, Patreon, which is a pay uh, paywall type of a thing. I don't really want to do that because that means that ordinary supporters who are probably you know, worried about the jobs and, and the futures at the moment, I would be asking them to support me financially. It's something I may have to consider at some point in the future, but it's something I really don't want to do. So thankfully, uh, certainly as far as the podcast is concerned, um, we've got security for the coming season, thanks to charleslouis.co.uk, who you hear me mention quite a lot on the podcast. They have a Twitter account, it's Charles Louis Group. Um, so follow them on there and I'll give you an example of the sort of thing they talk about. Uh, they did a tweet a few days ago uh, saying that many of their clients ask us for step-by-step -step guide when buying and selling their home. So they've produced a link on Twitter to a handy guide that they've compiled, which is full of frequently asked questions in case you've you're new to this and, and obviously at the moment moving house must be even more complicated I know that because my sister-in-law is, is in the process of doing it at the moment so it's a very uncertain time for everybody and um, if you follow them on Twitter and if you actually then as a result of that can read their links or contact them they will help you at their Twitter account give them a follow because that will show support for them for supporting me they are at Charles Louis GRP at Charles Louis GRP, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, their support. Now, as far as this uh, this podcast is concerned, last week we had Gary Owen as a special guest. Uh, this week, Andy Morrison is a special guest, uh, former City captain, of course. Um, he's not live uh, because as we're recording this on, uh, I lose track of days now, on Wednesday night, um, he has actually gone scouting, I think, for his team, Connors Key, who were in the Champions League, actually, not long ago. Um, and, and did very well. They went out, but they're now in the Europa League. So we'll be joined by Andy Morrison for three sections on three of the subjects that we're talking about tonight. But the three main guests are three regular members of the Forever Blue team. Um, Harlan, um, who is, is always full of opinions on tactics and players and signings and everything. Um, so he's with us. We've also got Andy, who is a uh, 
a corporate city fan, but he, you know, don't think of him as somebody posh. He is posh <laughs> in the sense that you know he's a big businessman and everything, but he's actually one of us. He's a real fan. He's a proper down-to-earth, committed, home and away fan. So he's he's a you know a real fan. So don't judge him on the fact he's a corporate fan, but he does at least give us that angle as well. And we all also have Amy, who is, I think, you'd call a key worker. Um, Amy is one of those people who looks after our children at the moment, which is a, a very val valuable job. Um, and she's also now a member of this Forever Blue team. So thanks very much to the three of you for joining us. We'll get Andy Morrison's thoughts on this subject in a moment. But let me start by asking you about the opening game of the season against Wolves. I know it's only one game. Um, but uh, let, let's go with Amy first then. You know, what, what did you think of the performance? What were the goods? What were, the, were there any bads from it? I know it's a 3-1 win at Wolves. Just give us your verdict and your thoughts on that game. Uh, I thought we did really well first game. I was quite impressed, um, especially with uh, Nathan Aki. I thought he did really, really well. Um, he seems to have settled in. Um, I mean, there was a few, like, touchy moments. John Stones, in particular, seemed to be ball-watching at certain points. But I won't say he did have a bad game. I'm not criticising him. Um, but, yeah, overall, I think we've done, re we've done really well on the first game. Um, I'm hoping for bigger and better things. The first game of the season is always a hard one to judge a team on because you don't know how good the other team are. City clearly had a lot of absentees due to COVID. Um, obviously, two or three players were affected by that. Then we had injuries like the training incident that happened with Eric Garcia. Sergio's two-month absence, continuing absence. Um, so on that basis, you'd have to say that, that winning 3-1 at Wolves is a, an impressive result, particularly since they beat us uh, home and away last season. But you also, these days, look at any performance, I think, Amy, and, and think, well... You know, it's all very well against Wolves, but would this team, would these players be good enough in the really big games like, you know, the Leon game, the Arsenal semi-final game, you know, United when that comes up, Liverpool when that comes up. So do you have any concerns? Well, I'll be asking you about whether there should be other new signings to come in, in a few minutes. But for now, you know, is John Stones now? I mean, I saw Sean Golter tweeting through the game that he thought Stones was back and he'd had a great first half. Uh, do you feel now that Stones can can make, lay claim again um, to to being a, a first team regular? Yeah, I I mean I like John Stones. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not a, I wouldn't say that I'm not a fan of his. I do like him. I do think sometimes it is confidence with him, but I am hoping that, you know, like I say, he didn't do it. He didn't have a bad game. He had just touchy moments, um, and I do hope that. They are just touchy moments, and when we are, when we do have the big games, he is there and he is prepared to stand up tall and defend the goals. Benjamin Mendy's the other one that gets a bit of stick. What did you think of him? Uh, yeah, I won't say you know I won't say he had a particularly bad game. He was like like Johnny. He had touchy moments as well. Um, you know, especially when uh, coming up for uh, Tyore. But then anyone coming up against him, you know, would knock you down anyway. But, um, yeah, I just hope that they, like I say, I just hope they are just touchy moments. And, you know, when it comes to the big games, that they both stand up and they're prepared to do what they're supposed to do. Mandy? A team that's taken 10 points uh, from you. Oh, sorry, yeah, eight points, sorry, from you. 
over the last two seasons and ran into penalties in the Carabao Cup. You know, your first game up after you've just had a, a pretty shocker last out against Leon in the Champions League. I think uh, my own personal perspective before the game, I've not got interested at all in the season. Harping back to the comments made in last week's podcast. So I wasn't really up for it. And what I, what I really enjoyed really was, it was almost like it was like many games when we won the league two years ago. We just blew a side away in the first 20 minutes, in my opinion. We just absolutely roared at the Wolves. And of course, we had players in the right places. We had the right people in midfield, which we haven't had. You know, we had two defenders behind Fernandinho, which was great to see. I think that can't be ignored, the importance of that. So seeing seeing the way we played in the first half, it was understandable that it probably couldn't be sustained for 90 minutes against a team of Wolves' quality. But when we were tested, when we were asked questions, I thought we did really well. I think that, you know, you always expect somebody to make a howling error and, and, and screw it up. But, you know, we came off 3-1. And I think that, that Molyneux this season will be an unusual result by any uh, standard. So it was quite, quite buoyant at the end, really, thinking that, you know, perhaps all of the negativity that I felt about the season was aired a little bit by by actually seeing City finally get to play and play so well. And it, it was it was lovely to see, you know, the performances of, you know, Nathan Ake obviously um, had a good debut. I think the midfield were fantastic to a man. You know, I think that was absolutely the key to the game. And we took some chances. And I think, you know, it bodes well, really, given that we had, what was it, seven absolutely top-class first team, almost nailed on uh, players who just couldn't play for one reason or another. Um, with, with, you know, and great to see, actually, some of the, some of the names on the bench, uh, particularly, uh, particularly the, uh, the young Delap, you know, after obviously following what you saw at Mansfield. Um, and he's obviously in line, perhaps, for an appearance against Bournemouth. So, all in all, I have to say, it, it was it was quite a turnaround from my expectations, the, the outcome at Molyneux. It was really, uh, really good, really positive. I enjoyed it. You mentioned Fernandinho there. Um, uh, Pep doesn't pick teams that are rigid. I'm sure Harlan will come on to this in a second. Um, he picks teams that are very flexible. That's one of the, um, the, the great beauties about a Pep team. Um, on paper, he was playing with two holding midfielders, as he did against Leon. In reality, we saw Fernandinho almost given a free role. Yeah. Sometimes he popped up in defence. Exactly. Sometimes he was very, very positive. Um, do you see once this seven or whatever it is that you identified as being unavailable, do you think Fernandinho is still going to get into that team in midfield or with that flexible role? Or do you think it's just by default going to be Rodri once again with a back four? He's the captain of the team, Ian. There's a reason for that. The players know his importance. And if that merits more starts, it should be the case. Because, you know, for, for, for many seasons, we've watched him be the, the go-to player, you know, the centre of the centre of the car wheel all the time. And we saw it against Wolves. And we haven't seen that, you know, in, in hardly at all during last season because he had to sit back in 
the back the back four. And to, to honestly, it's it, it's impossible to think of not playing him for me apart from the fact that his legs won't carry him. It's as simple as that. And I thought Rodri had a decent game. It, you know, the flexibility, the way they were moving in and out of the back four, freeing up the wing backs. It was really masterclass from Pep. And I think that, you know, obviously, perhaps he had to think hard about what happened uh, in, in Lisbon. And that was the reaction. And it was a good one. And Fernandinho absolutely is key for us in that position. And um, he's still the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League for me. Andy makes a great point, Harlan. Um, don't want to give him too much credit, but when he said, you know, he's the new captain uh, as the first part of his answer, um, it wasn't something that had automatically jumped into my mind. But the fact that the other players have made him captain because they vote for him, I think does make a big statement. And and I wonder if that means we are going to see more of Fernandinho. So how would you analyse that Wolves performance? First off, before I analyse the performance, Ian, over the last couple of years, we've been doing the podcast now for about 18, 19 months. Start January 2019, and we've been doing a vlog for just just over three years. And on them platforms, we've often maybe looked at things that the club maybe haven't done so well with regards to the fan-club relationship. But first off, I just want to say that myself and Jess got really up for, for, the, for the game against Wolves. And I said that I would do on the podcast last week and, and I definitely stuck by my word Ian and part of that and part of how much I got up for the game about an hour before kickoff was down to the club and how much they thought about the fact that it was the first game back we'd actually had our citizens account updated and I'm sure many fans that are listening to this will, will agree that they actually received the notification on their account that they'd actually uploaded a 70 song playlist I think it was pardon me if it was more or less but they'd actually uploaded a 70 song playlist as far as I, I remember um, with Right Here, Right Now, Brain Bug Nightmare, a couple of Oasis tracks, and all the tracks that you'd listen to in order inside the stadium. And personally, for me and Jess, playing that on our speakers at home before the match, that almost helped us kind of, as best we could, recreate that stadium atmosphere in ours. We had the LED lights on above the, above the TV as floodlights, and we had <laughs> the, the flag on the back of the chair, and we sat on the same side as we'd sit at the match, and we, we almost tried our very best to create the atmosphere and the club helped us with that by providing that music and that 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 kind of extra stuff that they provided the score predictions. I also thought the new guy that was doing the the um, Facebook uh, stories was really good as well. Um, you know, there's a few in the past that maybe haven't got to grips with what us fans are all about. I think the lab that were doing it the other night was was a bit more like us, if you want to say that, and and it actually felt like more of a city fan in a sense, and I actually really enjoyed that. So, first off, I just want to say that the whole match day experience from start to finish was a positive one. And it started with what the club had done with regards to the music and it helped build the atmosphere at my flat. Um, with regards to the performance, I think Amy and Andy have, have nailed it. Um, from a tactical perspective, I think the way Pep deployed Rodri and Fernandinho together was very sensible. I think last season, um, Rodri wouldn't have learned half as much from Fernandinho had he have done had Fernandinho have played next to him or had, you know, Fernandinho have played and Rodri had been on the bench and watched Fernandinho and studied his game. I think the fact he was next to him the other night allowed him to be there with him, next to him, working with him, learning the trade and honing the craft with Fernandinho there. And I think it really helped Rodri. You actually saw Rodri a lot deeper than Fernandinho. 
a couple of times he was putting in the challenge. He was breaking up the play. He was intercepting balls. And we didn't see much of that last year. And that's what was missing for us last year against sides like Wolves, against sides like Norwich, against those counter-attacking sides. And I saw a lot from Rodgers the other night that I was impressed with. I was also very impressed with John Stones and Kyle Walker's relationship. And I've criticised it before and said that because they're all pally-pally off the pitch and, and sometimes you think they're two jokers and whatnot, that, you know, he'll pass to him and he'll pass to him and he'll play safe with each other. What I did see the other night from a positive perspective, Ian, and, and, and obviously Amy and, and Andy, is that they were covering for each other. And when John Stones drifted out to press, Kyle Walker went inside and covered him at centre-half. Uh, Stones covered him at right wing-back. Um, and then vice versa. And then, you know, Walker allowed Stones to get back in position. And I think the fact the other night that every man played for one another. Sterling ran for Jesus. Um, Jesus ran for Sterling. Jesus pressed for Sterling. Uh, Walker worked for Stones. Ake kept Stones in line with him to stop the Wolves players getting in behind at times. Although Stones, like Amy said, did ball watch. I thought Benjamin Mendy was covered well by Ake when the ball did uh, bypass him through Adama Traore. And I liked, I liked the grit and determination that the players showed to, to work for each other and play for each other and play for the shirt. And in uncertain terms, we've come away from Wolverhampton Wanderers, like Andy said very eloquently, a team that we've not managed to do very well against in the last couple of games, with a 3-1 win away from home at Molyneux, which is always a difficult place to go, without fans inside the ground. And I think that that is a massive feat in itself. Absolutely brilliant performance overall. Few, few, you know, few iffy parts here and there. But overall, 3-1 away from home against Wolves. We're nowhere, fans. Good result. Lots of positivity then on that game. Uh, let's, let's hear from Andy Morrison now, who obviously is a City captain, former City captain. Um, not only on this, but I also, you'll hear him talking about what City might need to sign before the transfer window closes on October the 5th, which will we'll take up that conversation in just a moment. But first of all, here's Andy Morrison's view on the Wolves game. First half was very good, obviously. Um, I think everyone's spoke about the performance in the first half, what we did really well and what Wolves were poor at. Um, second half, I thought they would get better, Wolves, um, a little bit more freedom. I just thought they were a bit quicker to the ball in the second half. The things we did well in the first half, we stopped doing, and Wolves lifted their game a little bit, and it became a little bit stretched at times. Um, and we weren't as good as we were in possession of the ball. The turnover was too many. In the second half, um, you know, even 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 if uh, there's no end product, we do keep the ball well, and it suffocates the opposition. Second half, we kept giving the ball away um, and giving them an opportunity. And to be fair, they had a few really good chances in that second period. But again, you know, it's still early days. Um, you know, there's not been a lot of preseason games, and um, you know, City had to had to use that game as really one of the games that they're going to have to need to feel the way into this first part of the season. Personally, I was delighted to see Fernandinho operating in a little bit more of a midfield role. I know you and I have probably talked about this before, um, and I know it wasn't strictly, it never is with Pep, just one position. He was dropping back slightly at times as well. But I personally love to see Fernandinho back there. You think that's a role he will fulfil now he's captain more this season? Well, I hope so. You know uh, what a fan I am of, of Fernandinho. Um, you know, he, the amount of things he stops in the, the early process of the turnover, you know, and the dangers he spots, things don't come to the end product because he's already put it to bed. And he is excellent at reading play 
um, sensing danger and, and breaking play up. He can also play. You know, you're not going to be able to play in that team unless you're comfy in possession of the ball and you have great qualities, and he does that as well. But I think he's the best. I've always thought he is the best at that holding midfield role and sensing danger, breaking up the play when we lose possession of the ball. Um, incredibly strong. And, um, yeah, it's it's somewhere that we missed last season was just that go-to of him every single time in that holding role. I think he's going to be a very different captain to you, isn't he? He's not going to be shouting and bawling and telling people what to do. He's going to be trying to lead by example. I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just going to be different, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, whether that kind of character is still in a captain anymore, I don't know. You know, maybe... John Terry was the last one I can remember who was really vociferous and, and drove the team on. There's different, there's different ways. And um, Ferrandino leads by example. You know, his courage is there to see. And what I've always said, the captain's just an armband. It's, it's just a title. Players don't follow titles. They follow courage. They follow bravery. They follow leadership. And Ferrandini has all them qualities. So although he may not be loud and pulling people about, the qualities are still there that players want to you know, want to match up to what he gives and um, and look up to him. There's still a couple of weeks to go to the window close in the transfer window. And obviously one of the most discussed areas of City's team is defence. Nathan Ake made his, his debut at Wolves. John Stones um, was alongside him, of course. Uh, there's still talk of City looking at Koulibaly or Martinez or different players that they've been linked with. Uh, where do you stand on what City need to do defensively? Are you confident that Stones and Ake and obviously the return of Americ Laporte um, and Eric Garcia will give City enough strength? Or do you still feel that they need to sign something else? It's a tough one to answer because they're obviously, you've just spoken about the money for and You know, for me, they are top defenders, but I, I don't think it's about the personnel. I think it's about the, the turnover in possession of the ball the positioning of players, you know, um, where they're vulnerable in them areas when the fullbacks are pushed on. You know, Ferrandino definitely at that point in the game when we lose possession, he's able to channel balls in certain directions and he's be able to get to play quickly that the centre-halves don't get exposed in the channels. You know, you're playing against players now with such pace um, that it doesn't matter what defender you bring in. Um, they're still going to be left wide open at times with the way City play. Um, at 1-0, they're going for two. At two, they're going for three. So, um, it's I, I'm, I'm not sure about bringing other players in. I think it's just sensing danger a little bit more early and being a little bit more reserved in, in, in our approach at times, you know, because we do always go for the next goal. That does leave people vulnerable. And if you've not got centre-halves who want to scream and shout and pull people in and make sure that maybe one full-back's um, tucked in or maybe as Pep likes them to step in front and give a kind of a screen the full-backs when the ball's on the opposite side you're still going to be left wide open and I saw that last year you know we, we, we Garcia did really well but there were still times in games where he was exposed um, and, and you had to have blinding pace um, and be channel side and be in the right areas when we lose the ball the couple of times we got done um, against Wolves where I just think the positioning was poor we've got to squeeze a high line the way City play they try and suffocate the middle kind of middle zone so that you can't get any play but you still have to be mindful of that ball that gets hooked in behind um, so you're always squeezing to actually drop back in maybe three or four yards to give yourself so you're not in that foot race and, um, and I think sometimes we leave ourselves vulnerable to that 
Really interesting to see what you say, you're saying. They're always interesting to listen to, Andy. Uh, but you don't seem as desperate as some City fans are, because there are some out there that whenever City tweet anything, they, they go, when are you signing Koulibaly? When are you signing this player and the other? And what you're saying is that City don't need to be desperate. You're convinced that with the personnel they already have at their disposal, that there's no great issue and they can move on with what they've got if they don't find somebody else to add to that mix. Yeah, it's, you know, for me, it's City are open at times without um, Ferrandino in the team, without Rodri. If they're not in the right positions, then we, we are exposed in the channels. Um, I do think at times, <clears throat> rightly, we, we, we squeeze. and we, But we, it's just that area and the decision-making to make sure we're goal side when the ball does get hooked from the middle. Um, sometimes we get a little bit square. Um, John Stones maybe leaves himself a little bit open to a ball over the top. And positioning wise and it's just it's it's work to be done on the training ground and it's work to look at how we can be better not always go and spend 60 million because you can bring somebody of that value into the club but he's still if he's still in them vulnerable areas on the pitch where he's going to get exposed by like I say just a ball over the top a simple ball that gets turned around it's just the movements of the back four I think have got to be better and that's what stands out to me. Up front, obviously, Sergio's out for probably a couple more months. Gabriel Jesus has, has scored and, and has looked good. But, of course, if he gets injured, um, there isn't another out-and-out striker unless you look at somebody like Liam Delap, who may well uh, feature in, say, the uh, the game against Bournemouth in the, the League Cup. But he's only 17. Uh, there is the option, of course, of... Raheem Sterling or some other player dropping into a false nine. Do you think City need to go out and sign a striker before this window shuts? Personally, I think that's a, a, a much bigger priority than a, than a defender. Um, you know, Sergio has picked up a few. He's had a good, really good run of a few years without picking up an injury. And I think when you pick up something that um, has kept you out for a good few months, you know, you're always liable to pick up another their hamstring, especially with the, the, the kind of player he is, who's so explosive. So we definitely need cover. We definitely need a striker. Um, and I think it's a physical striker. I think somebody with a bit of presence. I think if you look at the, you know, the teams that are dominating Bayern with Lewandowski, Muller, these players, you know, they're they're not of that stature. They're they're more physical. There's more size to them. I, I thought the times last year in games where we missed the Dzeko, um, when teams were sat in so deep on us and you know we were putting great balls into the box, we were dominating possession. But just that different aspect and a different way of looking at things where you know you put a ball in and Dzeko's challenging for the ball, you're keeping it alive and you're keeping it in that danger area for players like De Bruyne to come onto. And, and it's just a different way of looking at it. Um, I think we desperately need a, another striker. Um, and it's just it's too much of a load to ask Jesus to, to go the whole season if, if if Aguero struggles a little bit. Um, I would be going out and I'd be targeting somebody. That's, that, that player I can't name for you, Ian. I, I'm not sure in the market what's available, who's out there. But we definitely need another striker to to help Jesus along because um, without Sergio, I just think it's it looks like, um, you know, if Jesus is out, we're, we're going to be struggling for personnel. Well, that's Andy Morrison um, with his views. Um... Obviously, he, he seems to be, with that, if I'm paraphrasing him correctly, quite reasonably confident that even if a new defender doesn't come in, City are OK in that area, but he's more concerned about strikers. So let me come to you, um, Harlan. What, what do you make of, of what you just heard Andy say? 
Yeah, I agree with him um, to an extent, Ian, um, with regards to a centre-half. I actually tweeted something out. I think Amy liked it on Twitter. I think you and Andy might have seen it as well about Stones after the game. Um, you know, why why go out and buy someone if, if you can improve someone? And I think Stones has come back and, and, and off one game after not playing for a lot longer than everybody else. Um, you'd have expected Stones getting thrown back in there alongside another brand-new centre-half. You know, by rights, there were a lot of City fans before this game, very, very, very overly negative, saying, oh, no, Aki, ooh, new signing from Bournemouth. Bournemouth got relegated. Next to Stones, are you serious? We're going to leak goals against Jimenez and and and, and Adama Traore and, and Neves, and, and, and everyone was worrying. Um, based on all that, I don't think Stones had a bad game at all, backing up what Amy, Amy said before. Um, so I do think, yeah, what Andy said is bang on, training ground, work with John Stones, improve him. He's still at an age where he can be improved. And I'm a I'm a you know a fan of him. I'm a critic of him as well at times, and I was last season. But after that performance the other day, I think he's grown a bit from watching other players and from that experience of watching Garcia play instead of him. I think that's taught him something and made him work harder and strive to be better. And so therefore you're I think defense. You're agreeing defensively. What about his point about a striker? Um, yeah, well, I agree with that as well. And I did say that on last week's podcast. Um, it is difficult to go out and get a striker of the calibre of, of Lewandowski. And I did mention Raul Jimenez last week, the guy that played against us for Wolves. He showed what he could do again the other night. Granted, he missed a couple. But that header was absolutely immense. That's what we miss. Uh, little dink into the box. You know, there's times where, like Andy on, on, on there said, we whip balls into the box, you know, 20, 30 times a match. And there's just nobody there to, 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 to nod him into the top corner. Jesus gets a couple, Aguero gets a couple. You might get the odd flick on a Rodri header from a corner, but we're poor from corners as well. Set pieces we're not really good from in direct ones. So I think, yeah, uh, you know, an aerial striker, someone with a bit of ball, someone that's good with his feet as well. But just going back to the centre-half thing, I actually do think that Pep will sign another centre-half, and I genuinely think that is because he will go with a back three and full-backs. And that might make some City fans go, oh, well, we tried that at the back end of last season and it looked a bit dodgy. I genuinely think that it will be Ake, Laporte and someone else with Mendy and Cancelo or Walker uh, as wing-backs. And then, you know, either wingers or inside forwards or a one and a two up front and two midfielders. But, you know, if it is a back four, I didn't see anything the other night that makes me think that we desperately need a centre-half now. And therefore, I would prioritise going out and getting another striker in case Jesus does get injured. There's Cavani out there, Ian, on a free. Uh, some people might go, oh, well, Cavani's 34. Well, Cavani's got a proven track record in it in Europe, in the Champions League. He's a free agent now. He's played for PSG, Palermo, Napoli. Uh, scored bags full of goals in Europe, in France. All right, people call it a farmer's league. It doesn't matter where you play. You've still got to bag the, the goals and, and hit the back of the net and score the amount that he scored. Just a little look at him. 200 goals in 301 games for PSG, 104 in 138 for Napoli, 37 in 117 for Palermo back in his youth days. Um, he scores bags full of goals. He's got a great head on his shoulders. He's still got a bit of pace about him for a big guy. He's a prolific goal scorer. He's a free agent. We could probably get him on decent wages. I definitely think we could be looking at him and, and, and should look at him. Amy, are you chomping at the bit for City Susanna, central defender? No, I'm I'm quite happy with what we've we've got. I do think Andy's right with strikers, um, but um, like you say, who you're gonna who you're gonna get that's like that's that's any good of where like Jesus and Aguero standards are. You know, we need somebody who's gonna be of that ilk to 
be able to help us in that area. So you think a striker and you go in with this sort of a different type of striker because I know they're not the same, uh, Gabrielle and, and Sergio, but they are similar in the sense that they're both based on quickness around the box, I would suggest, and, and nippiness and, and low centre of gravity and all that. And at the moment, apart from maybe Liam Delap, but he is very young, there isn't a, and I mean this in the kindest of way, I've watched Liam, I've been lucky enough, I went to Mansfield um, a couple of weeks ago and he, and he was playing very, very well in that game. Um, I saw him at um, in another game after that against Derby County when he got sent off um, at the, Eti at the uh, CFA. He is an exciting young player and he is a very different type of player. And if I called him a bit of a battering ram, that isn't meant to be um, in, in any way um, against what, what he's all about because he's actually quite a very, well, not quite, a very gifted player. But you'd prefer somebody like that, Amos, who gives a, a different dimension, would you? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you want someone who's like, who's sippy in between the defenders, who, who, who'll take the chances and, you know, like, you know, like Aguero did against QPR. You want that sort of excitement that can just zip in and just shoot. Um, I mean, obviously, like, Sterling can play in them roles. Um, and in, in Torres, uh, a forward as well, like a sort of a forward. Um, obviously, we don't know how he's going to play. Um, properly yet because we've not seen how he is um, but yeah I feel like we need someone with you know that's zippy who can get in between the defenders who, who, who shows the excitement that Aguero does and Jesus does Andy um, On the defender front I think Napoli are giving us the run around as they did with Jorginho mm -hmm. should stand well back from that I think now Um I think it's clear that John Stones does need a babysitter. Whoever that is, whether that's uh, Kyle, whether that's uh, Amerik, or it's get out of jail pass to Fernandinho playing in DM. I think that's good enough. We, we should give him a go. Um, he's got a mistake in him. Evertonians would still tell you that. So I think the defend, defensive side, we were the team that conceded, was it? <coughs> the least goals and scored the most goals last season. Here we are talking about defenders and strikers. Well, they they um, put the stats up on they put the stats up on Sky the other night, Andy, and I think I think it was it was the second to 35 goal ship last year. And to, to say that we've only conceded thirty five and that's a poor defence is is pretty good, but it actually wasn't if you want to win titles, was it? Well, I mean you can analyse it to death, but they're the stats, aren't they? So yeah. in in the end, um more concerned probably about the, the situation we find ourselves in up front with vulnerability. I made the mistake of watching the Aguero documentary, which is on City's TV channel. What an absolutely incredible uh, documentary that is. Um, just really makes you realise how good he was, even at 15, making his debut at Independiente and then his career before he came to us in, in Atletico. And, and those kind of people are rare, you know, those kind of players who've got that skill of just knowing where the goal is. And I think we've got to be a bit patient because not just in the position, and I think you look at Bayern and they are the strongest team and that physicality that Pep seems reluctant to go with, I think we've got the obvious uh, candidate, um, son of Alfie, playing out there in Dortmund. Mm -hmm. 
who would be a, who would be a slot in. Um, I think as far as the defensive side goes and perhaps defensive midfield, I'm watching closely how Bayern Munich are tintering on the edge of losing the contract extension of David Alaba. He's 28. Mm. I've seen him play for Austria in midfield against my own country. He was brilliant. He's moved from left-back to centre-back. If you talk about a player who'll give you four or five years and then probably from the City perspective join Lionel Messi in New York, you know, you start to get a bit carried away um, during the time when Fernandinho is probably going to be looking at winding down his uh, time at City. So I think we've got to look a bit more long-term than sticky plaster on a cut. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, if we had to have uh, for one year, you know, exciting 20 goals a season, someone like Cavani to, the, to you know, it'd be a pity that we weren't able to go to the match to watch it. I don't think it would disrupt things greatly. They're very conscious of not doing that with the team. I'm a bit relaxed, really. I think just if Gabby, Gabby Jesus got injured right now, we are in a tricky situation. I think that's the biggest risk. Well, you've just touched on the next subject we're going to talk about now, which is us not being in the stadium, which we did talk about last week. But since then, the government has announced that any trials in October have now been cancelled. Um, there's, the way that it was worded was that we could be in the new lockdown, if you want to call it that, in this country for six months. Um, so we don't know where, where things are going to. So before you three give me your comments on that, um, it's, it's clearly a subject that's close to Andy Morrison's heart as well, because not only is he a spectator of City and goes to a lot of games and likes to take in as much football as he can, but he is a football manager and he's a football manager at Connors Key, which is a Champions League team, as I mentioned before, but also plays in the Welsh League where they're not allowed fans back in. So it's an interesting perspective that he will bring us now. So um, here's what Andy Morrison has got to say on the subject. I think the Premier League is safe for a while. Um, I'm sure I heard a, a chairman saying, you know, a Premier League chairman saying that, you know, they could be in a difficult situation if things carry on the way they are. But, you know, I think the Premier League is pretty safe for a period. I think football below, I think, is in a really, really precarious position at this moment in time. Um, fortunate enough for me, you know, we're not dependent on gates and match day revenue. Um, you know, our European money has made us kind of um, sustainable to a point. We still need a backing from a chairman. But there's a lot of clubs, Ian, that are, going to, are heading for a real danger. Um, and it's a serious issue. I don't have an answer to that. I really, you know, I wish I did. They're talking about maybe the money funneling down a little bit more into the lower leagues. But as you've just said, clubs that are reliant on that match day revenue, whether it's through the gates or whether it's through drinks and and, and match day packages, um, are struggling. And, and I'm not sure where it goes at this moment in time. I can't see non-league football starting again until that's an option, because obviously players are under contract. Um, how they fund that, I have no idea, unless it goes to a point where players have to just play for expenses at that level, um, if it's not their job. Um, like I said, I don't have the answers to it, but I do know that football's in a really, really difficult position, and I'm not sure people are fully aware of just how um, precarious the, the position we are in at this moment in time for the lower league clubs and non-league football cannot carry on. There is no money, and if you can't pay your bills, then as in any walk of life, you know you're going to have to, 
you're either going to have to sell up, shut up, or or find a solution. And there isn't anybody out there at the moment, it seems, with the um, the know-how to to help these clubs out. I'd like I say, I don't have the answer, but it's a it's a really scary situation we're in. As well as being a manager, which clearly you are, you're also a match-going fan, and and I know how much it's damaging my mental health not to do what I love doing, which is to go and attend and watch games. Um, as a, as a human being now, not so much as Andy Morris and the manager, do you have empathy and understanding, and and how's it affecting you not being able to go and watch City and watch other games? You can obviously be at your own games, but there is a limit now on what else we can watch as spectators. Do you understand the the frustration of the fans? Do you have empathy for how they feel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again. Um, without sitting on the fancy, and there's a there's a picture going on in the world at the moment that is pretty scary, and it seems to be getting you know worse day on day. So in many ways, you know, football is a, is insignificant and at the back of many people's minds. Um, and you know, it's only when you become that match day, that time of day when a game would take place that you actually then it becomes important to you. You know, away from it, it's re- it's not that important in the bigger picture. Um, you know, I'm. I just hope that football survives as we know it today. Um, and you know, in a year's time, two years' time, if whatever happens in the lower leagues, if if clubs have to shut up shop and they have to close a, a league down for a year and start again back where we are, then you know, I could understand that. Um, but you know, for fans, it, it's a tough one. But it's a tough one for everybody at this moment in time, um, in, in many ways of in our lives. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's still sport. I understand people's needs to, um, to enjoy and have a switch off. But, um, you know, at, at the moment in time, health is the, is the most important part of, of everything. So I suppose Andy Morrison's saying what a lot of people would say. Uh, but how do you react to that, Amy? Um, I mean, he's right when it comes to, um, you know, there is a bigger thing going on at the moment. But... For people who do enjoy going to football, you know, especially like the older people, you know, that who like going for the company as well as watching as watching their favourite football team, things like that really bother people and upset people. Um, I mean, not only do I like going and watching the football, I like going to concerts, I like going to comedy gigs and music gigs, I like going to the theatre, and these are all places that unfortunately are losing money because nobody's able to go. And, you know, it is going to be a shame for those that say like little little companies and little football teams who haven't got, you know, a lot of revenue who are going to end up, um, I hope not, but, um, you know, there is that thing where they could end up folding and, and it's really sad even before all this was happening, certain football teams were, were losing money. So this has made things 10 times worse. Um, so as much as I agree with Andy, yes, there is a bigger picture, but for some people, they need the football, they need the theatre, they need the comedy gigs, they need the, they need the music concerts, not only to go and watch what they like watching, but for a social, a social thing as well. Um, it's all very well going to the pub and stuff, but you know, not everyone can go to the pub and see the friends and stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of times I've not been able to go and see my friends and I've really missed them. Um, yeah, you know, I have the girls at work, but seeing your friends is different. Um, so, yeah, there, as much as I agree with Andy, yeah, it is a bigger picture. 
you know, you, you do need certain things to help you with your mind and with your mental health um, on a bigger level as well. Yeah, I mean, I understand the point that Andy made, um, although I do feel, I do disagree with him slightly and feel a lot stronger because I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure there'll be other people in different ways who will, you've just expressed that really, who will say that football is, isn't just about match day and isn't just about, you know, when it come, ticks round to kickoff time, that's when you think about it. Um, for the last 40 odd years, all I've and I've been very lucky yeah. to, of course, worked in the in the profession as well. But all I ever I ever think about in my certainly in my spare time, if not my professional time, is football. Is going to football is yeah. is absolutely the essence of yeah, of, of what I am. Sorry, go on. We just said something there. No, Amy. I just I know I totally agree with you. Like you know, I, I say I'm I'm really missing the people. You know, you have your little community that you're with at football. You know, you have your little your little friends and stuff, and um, I still talk to the the lad that sits next to me. I still I still am I able to talk to him? You know, through messenger and stuff. But there's the other people that sit round you as well that you get to talk to and you've made friends with. And like I say, it's not just about going to watch the football. It is a social thing, um, and having somebody to talk to about, that likes the same things as you do. Um, really really helps like obviously you know i'm probably there's not many you know there is now but obviously at work there's not many girls who i can speak to about the football you know it's like there's only like a few of us that support the same team or are actually as bothered as i am like you know um like i've told you before about they laugh at me because of the way i am with it how, how i am with aguero but like you know it's just because you know I need somebody to talk to about it and I haven't got that. So, you know, it, like I say, it, is, it isn't just about going to football. It's, it's a social thing as well. You've got us. At least you've got us, Amy. I know. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what Harlan and Andy can add because, you know, we haven't got any choice in the matter. You know, the games are con going to continue behind closed doors for the foreseeable future, which is not the news I wanted to hear. Is there anything you two would like to, to add? It's important to mention, Ian, I actually, you know, and I, and I say this because at the moment there's a lot of social unrest, there's lots of um, people falling out, there's friends falling out, I've had friends that I know personally, um, acquaintances that I've seen falling out, there's couples falling out, there's people getting divorces and all sorts because people yeah. have got different views on this thing and it is going to cause a social divide, etc. And for them reasons, I was actually very surprised last week that Paul being as passionate as he is and being as honest as he was, which I admired him for, because like you said last week on the pod, he said a lot of things that people don't want to say. And I think that you've got to salute Paul for doing that because he is one of the truest people I've ever met, especially on this podcast. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I was actually surprised that he didn't get a bit of a backlash from it. Um, and I've had a bit of backlash when I've maybe criticised a player before. Now, I thought because this is such a global thing that Paul's views last week might have been criticised a lot. And I was surprised because a lot of people are feeling the same way as Paul and Amy and myself. And although we're all very sensitive and very, very, very sorry to those that have lost people throughout this pandemic due to this virus, I think it's, it, it, you've got to be very careful that just because you care about football and because you miss it, it doesn't mean that you're not empathetic or sympathetic towards those people that have lost people to this. Or, or that you're not, you're not aware of how other people are feeling that maybe aren't as keen for football to return as you are. Um, 
I just think that it is massively important to acknowledge that everybody is entitled to their own views on this, that we might not all agree, but at the same time, the one thing we can all agree on is that we all want normality back as soon as possible. Anything well, you want to add, Andy? Yeah, normality uh, uh, for, for me has been spending uh, practically every week flying somewhere in the world on an aeroplane for the last God knows how many years. And the only reason really to get back, it was following whenever City were playing or Wales were playing. Um, you know, and it's been pretty much the anchors in my diary for, for a long time. So to have all of that taken away and uh, really, you can't really replace it with anything close to um, to, to what you were doing. It, it's really been quite a, a shock. But what I know is I'm pretty robust and adaptable and I've found other ways to cope with those things to be able to, um, you know, fulfil my contribution at work. Uh, but football, uh, that's when, or sporting events that I would go to as routine, my local uh, rugby team here as well. It's horrible not participating in the, in the way that you want to, particularly on the social level. And I think that probably we're all getting to a point where it's getting to really grind now. And um, I can understand why then there's a reaction to, uh, you know, the measures that are taken to stop the pandemic from spreading, which seem uh, emotional or logical, but we cannot we cannot expect uh, to allow this to go to 50,000 deaths a day in the next three weeks, or 50,000 cases, sorry, a day, and then and see hundreds and hundreds of people die. Um, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think that what's happened now is the brutal reality is that we're going to see structural damage on a scale that we probably didn't expect in all areas. Um, and, and football will be a casualty of it, particularly for those clubs who are already teetering on the edge. And it's sad, but unfortunately, it's a global issue. It's not a UK issue. It's not Boris Johnson's issue. It's, uh, it, it's how it is. And um, we've just got to try and make the best of it. I think that's all we can do. The only thing I can add to all this, uh, which I don't want to make this as a political point, it's a football podcast and we'll get on to looking ahead to what's to come in the last part of this podcast for the rest of the season and hear from Andy Morrison again. But my, obviously, I've just lost my father. Um, he had dementia. He was in a care home and uh, the care home and all care homes have tried to keep uh, this terrible disease out and they've succeeded. Um, but that meant that my dad had a very lonely uh, uh, passing as for months. I wasn't able to go and see him as I should have been. So this uh, protecting people um, has its place. But sometimes I wonder, this is just my personal view, as if we're, we're almost overprotecting people and forgetting the reality that people need people. We need to socialise. We need to do the things we like, be with the people that we like. And if my dad had been able to... Uh, go to a match or be with me, he might still have been with us now. Um, he might have got COVID, who knows? But I would personally almost have rather had the opportunity to give him more stimulation and the better quality of life. But then at the moment, I'm in mourning, so maybe I'm speaking from pure emotion. So forgive me that. 
Right, the final part of the podcast is is to now that we've seen a game, now that we've seen Liverpool play twice and uh, United played twice, Chelsea played twice, all the rest of it. Where are our feelings now going forward? We'll hear Andy Morrison's thoughts in a moment. Um, I, I don't know who wants to go first, but um, we'll go. Uh, uh, Harlan's pointing down, which on Zoom is is sort of pointless, really, because he's pointing ah. to my keyboard. There's nobody yeah. down there. Oh, um, you're down there, aren't you? No, go on, Andy, you go first, mate. OK, uh, way too early is my answer. Um... Well, before you, you're quite as black and white as that, the question I'm asking really is that, um, you know, I suppose it still links back to who do City sign and do City need new signings. We are less than two weeks away from from the closing of the window. If City don't sign anybody, do you believe that with Nathan Ake and uh, Ferran Torres, Torres and the squad that we have when they're all fully fit can put right the demise in the FA Cup, uh, the, the Champions League, and even that big gap with Liverpool? Or is it going to need a lot more than that, just based on on what you've seen so far? Because Liverpool have started very well. I don't think it's about City. I think it's about the strengthening of the number of teams uh, that we've seen thus far, particularly Chelsea and Everton, I think, look like they've strengthened well. Um, so I think Mark, uh, Arteta's obviously having his impact now. They've got uh, Bamiyang signed up for five years. I think there are definitely going to be teams who are going to tilt over uh, the top the top teams. So I think the idea of twenty points being a gap in you know January February is going to be very unrealistic this season. That's how I see it right now. Um, so I think we're going to be seeing a more competitive Premier League than we've probably seen for, I don't know, since we won it for the first time. Um, you know, real uh, slugging match between between a few teams. And, and I think City have the squad depth to do well enough. And I think there's definitely been some strengthening of Liverpool's squad with the recent signings they've made. So I, th- I still think it's it's for other teams to try and knock City and Liverpool off the perch, really. I don't think there's anyone yet ready to move into the top two. Uh, but I think it will be... Uh, it, I think 100 points is a long way away this season for for anybody. And I hope I'm right. And I don't have to eat my words again later on. But I think it's uh, interesting to see just how, how much the effect of no fans in the stadium will have as well on on results and it's surprising already to see how many goals are going in, um, you know, in the first first two two rounds of matches. It's a goal fest. Um, so really, really interesting uh, time ahead. I think if we don't make any signings, honestly, as I said before, it's all about whether we lose a striker and we have nobody as, a, as an outright number nine or ten is the only concern I have. We'll get Amy and, and Harlan's thoughts in a moment. Here's Andy Morrison with his thoughts on this subject. Well, I'm always enthusiastic. You know, we have a fantastic group of players at the club. Um, and, you know, anything outside of that top, I'd say the top two, maybe go to three places, has to be City's aim and be disappointed if you weren't in that top two with the squad we have and the manager we have. 
Um, the Champions League is a totally different thing. You know, it becomes a lottery in many ways. When you look at the quality of the teams in Juventus, you know, Inter Milan, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, the, there's no right, City have no right to say they're the favourites or they should win it. In many ways, it's almost as if it's your time and your moment when it comes. Um, you prepare the best you can, you put the best squad of players together, but there's no guarantees at that level. Um, you know, there's there's huge clubs. You know, I didn't even mention the English clubs in United and Liverpool. Um, so the Champions League is something maybe we talk about as it comes along. Have we got a chance of winning it? Yes, we have. Have we got a chance of winning the Premier League? Absolutely. Um, you know, that's very, very realistic. And City fans and I'd imagine the people at the top at City would be disappointed if we don't win the league. I think that's fair enough. It's not creating um, unrealistic expectations. But for us and where we've been over the last decade, you know, we're, I'd, I'd imagine we're still the favourites with the bookmakers this year, which tells you a lot. They don't normally get it wrong. It's either Liverpool or City. So I think outside that top two would be disappointing. I think in that top two with the quality of Liverpool, Chelsea have brought in, but I still don't think there is, there's still not the um, infrastructure in place of Liverpool and um, City that's been there now for a, for a period. I still think they're weaker, although they've still strengthened. So I think we've got a great chance of winning the league. Well, that was Andy Morrison. A City, by the way, are five to six on, apparently, uh, for the Premier League title, so I'm told. Um, so, what do you think, Amy, of what Andy's just said? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with him, but I also think, too early to say, um, I do think there is going to be a few teams fighting, fighting for, you know, fighting against us to try and, like, knock us off our perch. Um I really do hope we do win some trophies this season. I, I think it'd just help the fans. I think it'd just pick us up um, after a really horrible year that everybody's had. I think that City having a few trophies uh, in the cabinet will just will just help us. Whether that is the Champions League, whether it's the Premier League, whatever you know, I think most people would like. Well, most City fans would like us to win the domestic trophies. And if we win the Champions League, it's a bonus. Um, but yeah, I, I th we definitely need some trophies to pick our spirits up. The one thing I cling on to is that we might not be allowed to go back to the games in the near future, but the FA Cup final, the Champions League final and the decisive moments of the title will come at the end of the season. And fingers crossed but by then, we are all back again. Um, yeah. or at least a lot of us are back again. Uh, Harlan, last word in this podcast goes to you then. So uh, uh, on the basis that you're always Mr Optimist, um, I guess we're doing the quadruple, are we? Well, it's one of them, Ian. Um, it, it, you know, the, the squad's very good. The, the, we were exceptional in, in 17-18. We were absolutely majestic. That 100-point season, like Andy said, that, that took something... To get 198 in two seasons was absolutely unthinkable. If you'd have told me as a as a nine-year-old City fan watching Nicholas Jensen and Nicholas Anelka and Berkovic, Bernabia and Gorta, that I'd see my City get 198 in two hang, seasons. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You just strung a lot of great players there. <laughs> players I absolutely love. I love them all. And you think know I love them all. Actually very I... talented players. And the way you said it then, it was as if... <laughs> We've moved on from them. No, no, no. I was an Arby could play in this team. Listen, listen. I, I, I was saying that as like I was saying it as in 
Vanabia, and the names go on, the list goes on. One of my favourite DVDs of all time is Good To Be Back. I'll watch it on repeat. That that all 2 3 season was mint. The football we played under Keegan was mint. Granted, it wasn't Pep Guardiola to a lot of people, but the football was mint. Berkovich, Vanabia, granted they're getting this team. I think Wright Phillips are getting this team at 23 years old as well. So there you go, and I'll come back there with that. And Elka are getting this team at 23, 24. <laughs> but the way I'm reading it out there is... We never dreamed that we'd see Richard Dunn lift the Premier League trophy. We never thought that we'd see 198 points in, in two seasons. We did, and it's been majestic. But this, the squad now, to, to do that, it, it does take a lot. It takes a Vincent company. It takes a David Silver. It takes a Sergio Aguero banging him in, you know, inside and outside the box. To get a spine like that again will be very, very difficult. And then with Fernandinho obviously departing soon as well, it's going to take a long time for us to get that spine. Have we got a spine as strong as that? No. Have we got a spine as strong, uh, as, strong as we had in 2011-12 with Lescott, Company, De Jong, uh, David Silva, Yaya, Torre, Aguero? Probably not. But we're building a new spine slowly but surely and it's time for new players to step up and become the new generation of City players. So yes, I think we can win the league this season. I think we can win a domestic trophy. To do a treble or a quadruple, difficult. To win the Champions League, like Andy said, I agree with him, it's a lottery. But I think we've got to be hopeful. And like I said last week on the podcast, Ian, I think the players will be hungry this year. They won't want to feel how they felt last season, letting Liverpool do what they did. They won't want to do that again. They won't want that gap again. And I think you'll see players skin themselves more than they did last year, this year. And I think that this whole pandemic situation will have an opposite effect on the players. And because we can't be there with them, we'll probably make them strive that bit extra to reward us from our seats at home. Love your optimism. Um, Harlan... Andy and Amy, thank you very much for your contributions to the Forever Loop podcast tonight. Of course, big thanks to Andy Morrison as well, former City player and skipper. Thanks very much to you and Charles Louis Group. Remember, they're on Twitter, so give them a follow. It costs you nothing. It gives them a boost uh, and it, it helps us as well. So at Charles Louis GRP. And the Louis spell L-O-U-I-S. So cha at Charles Louis GRP. Give them a follow. And if you are interested, and, and there'll, there'll be lots more on what they do, I'm sure in future podcasts, if you are interested in their work, um, have a look at them. Look at some of the links that they, they tweet out, uh, which tell you about buying and selling. And uh, I noticed another one recently about if you've been in the army or something, you've been serving and you wanted to try buying property, that's maybe a, bit, a little bit of a specialist field. So have a look at, at their Twitter account and give them a follow. Uh, we'll do another podcast uh, the day after, the Monday night is when we'll record it after the Leicester game, which is this Sunday in the Premier League. So that's when we'll be back. In terms of the match day vlogs, which I know a lot of people have asked me about, um, as I said at the beginning, I'm hopeful of finding some sponsorship, which means I don't have to go down the um, the route of asking you, the, the listeners and viewers, to, to support me financially. Um, and, and with a bit of luck, uh, in the next uh, few days, um, we'll get we'll get one or two companies to to come forward and, and and make sure that I can be supported in a way that doesn't mean you have to support me. Uh, but thanks for all your goodwill, all your messages, um, especially about me dad. Um, and thanks very much for for listening and and downloading and spread the word, retweet it, share it, all that sort of stuff because it, it all helps. Thank you, um, and, and of course. As I always say, um, you know, even though we can't be at the game now, um, it's still great to be a blue, isn't it? <laughs>